to the ETPHD team podcast, episode number 17, and I know because we just checked, it is myself and Anna today. Hi, Anna. Hello. How are you? I am good, thank you. Yeah, feeling good this week. How are you? I'm good. I'm just looking at the differences in our appearance right now. I'm just saying to Anna how brown she looks and glamorous, and I've just been painting my living room, and my hair has actual white paint in it, which, I'm going to be honest, it, it doesn't really like look great having chunks of white goo in my hair <laughs> like I don't think there's something about me as like legit anymore I'm actually yeah, that's yeah but no I am doing yeah. the like typical Skype zoom thing and I've come back from PT so I have to look fairly presentable but then I've got slipper socks and pajama bottoms on so <laughs> I mean this is professional pajama bottoms and glass of wine yes this is all we need in life this is all we need in life um um, right, so we have quite a lot of questions. Do you have questions today? Do I do? Excellent. I've got like five, so um, that's really good. Um, anything new with you before we start? Ouch. It is new. Um, no, not really. <laughs> not really. Just bumbling along, no. waiting to see what happens. Because. Um, so I'm in Loughborough and obviously you know that Loughborough is a university town and we have all the students back so there are I think we're medium risk at the minute the mm. track and trace app likes to tell me so oh well there was an outbreak at the uni that I sometimes well we used to teach at Manchester met there was an outbreak at the halls there and it's been all over the news because all the students on my campus all got locked into their halls and my, one of our clients actually um works there so bless her she's like that's not great. Yeah. yeah. Well, good luck. <laughs> I know. I'm just trying to keep away from everyone, even more so than usual. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you pretend that that's any different. I know, yeah. Do you know what? Right. So I started this new gym. I moved gyms and I started this gym like a month ago or whatever. And I said to my friend, I was like, I'm going to go in and I'm going to try and be really like sociable and smile at everyone. <laughs> I did right for like the first two weeks. I was like smiling, and I was like, this, "I'm going to, I'm going to make a nice little community here." And then two weeks later, I was like, "Why is this guy peacocking? How dare this guy ask me to walk where my jumper was from?" And I was living, and I was messaging my friend, and I was like, "Why is he just interrupting me to ask me where my jumper's from?" And she was like, "You know why?" And I was like, "It's not okay." And then I'm now I'm just back to like looking at the floor again, and I'm like, "Damn it!" I was really trying to be sociable, but no, 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 no. no the P- the gym that I PT at. I was a member there, so they know already that I don't talk to people unless I have to. So it's it's fine. I was kind of like twenty twenty is going to change. Like introverts are going to be like, do you know what? I like, and I love human connection and blah blah. blah. But at the same time, no. <laughs> I'm in lockdown right now, though. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, is that yeah, you're that way, aren't you? I'm that way. I'm in the northwest. I. They have worse cases than the northeast, but for some reason we've not been victimised as the northeast. I'm not sure why, because we are the worst in the country. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> That's awesome. Good for the house, but uh, not so good for my sanity. Anyway, anyway, um, do you want to go first? I can do. I will go with. Um, so, if anybody saw on my stories today i posted um a client that checked in this morning with this awesome um idea for affirmations 
And she's been writing them down and then kind of coming up with an example through the week that like solidifies that affirmation. And it was actually a, don't hate me for this, it's a student from EIQ that asked me to um, see if I can share some of her examples and how that might relate into real life. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's that's cool. You can be an honorary honorary question on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, sure. um, yeah, so I then got in contact with this client and she is more than happy to share some of her ideas. I love that idea, by the way. I, re- I saw that on your story today. I thought that was, I thought yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, I've heard of it done with gratitude and like having like a happy jar. But she was like, no, it just means that when I, I can reflect um, on the end of the week and it just fills me with confidence, giving you a bit of a boost. Uh, do you know, my friend once gave me a jar and it was like a happiness jar. And anyone who is stuck for ideas for present, this is fantastic. I've still not made my way through it. But it was just like that, a jar with notes in it. And it was like, it's something like 30 reasons why I love you. And then and like each card was just like, it's like a different thing. So when you're having a bad day, you can open it and it's like, I love you because like it would be like you are like you you are the backbone of your family or like funny things as well as nice things Mm. that's a very nice gift on this on this topic for anyone that's like "Mm." yeah I think affirmations are something that a lot of people struggle with to get started yeah I just had someone today ask me about affirmations like what they should say so yeah I think you might know what you want to try and manifest but it can feel a bit fake to get started where obviously with this idea you know no this is why I'm I'm going to be whatever so one example was today uh I'm happy to be me and and an example was my friend was able to tell me a struggle she went through and being that person she could turn to oh that's nice yeah nice that's really nice what's your affirmation for today so I am using um the I am app and it pops up with like I think I've set three ones throughout the day and you can choose the kind of things that you want to work on so obviously mine's been anxiety recently (laughs) (laughs) and uh yeah one of them from today I actually saved it and then forgot to post it but it was I am calm and in control Oh, I like that. So, yeah. Do you know what? The thing with this is, like, so, with affirmations, when you... Meditation similar to intention. Manifesting how you then feel um, without talking about manifestation and crystals, etc. But it does actually have an impact. But... When I first started looking to affirmations, when I first started, and I'm probably sure that we used them when you were a client years ago, it was more like you're going to find something you like about yourself, about your body. Mm. But actually, which is great, and sometimes you might do that, but um, when I looked actually like at the science of it, and it, it, there was there's evidence like is it, it, the evidence is there that if you say to yourself like so if I looked in the mirror and I was like I love my boobs I don't right I don't like my boobs at all right so if I looked in the mirror I was like I really love my boobs I really love my boobs there's actually evidence that that actually isn't that has a negative effect on your mood because you know you're lying to yourself whereas I think when it's affirmations obviously that's how we do it now with clients is that it's more mm-hmm. about personality etc when you have affirmations like that it's like you don't know you're lying to yourself because you can be calm and in control if that's what it was. Um, 
Which is why it's so cool that this is about your personality and not about your looks. Yeah, that's one thing that I always ask clients to do is uh, to focus away from aesthetics. Even It can still be about your body, but maybe how it supports you, like you're strong or whatever mm. else, or it allows you to do this, that and the yeah. other. But yeah, like you said, when you if you're not got a great body image or you're not feeling overly confident about something it is it's like lying to yourself yeah so did she put the examples it was a woman a female yeah. did she put the examples in the jar or did she put the affirmations in the jar both it's together so it's like an affirmation and then the statement to follow and then at the end of the week she's got all of those in the jar yeah yeah so that's I like that a lot that's a really nice idea especially as well like if you're somebody who maybe you're somebody who struggles at the weekends with food and things like that then that's a really good time like rather than like you know we talk about implementation intentions it's like if I want to eat etc then I will do x y or z you can be like if I want to eat then I will read my- make myself feel good <laughs> yeah that's such a good like such a good idea hats off to your client oh, like, no, she's a legend that's a great idea <laughs> and I think everyone should do that yeah. Um, my affirmation today is I am a handyman that's <laughs> my example is that I've painted my house today, well this evening um, totally the same as Cam and Cam and con- in control yeah, a- a- absolutely fact is, there's no, there's no wrong right there's no like there's no right or wrong, no, it's just got to be what works for you. Exactly, exactly. Um, awesome. Um, okay, we spoke we spoke a little bit about this before the podcast last week, um, but we didn't get around to the actual question, so I'm going to read out. Um, it's quite a long question, but um, I was wondering what your views are on monitoring heart rate availability heart rate variability or resting heart rate in terms of recovery I know numbers are not 100% accurate but I've always used mine as a correlation over time my resting heart rate has always been low um, and my heart rate variability has always been on lower numbers but I hear that higher numbers are supposed to be better so she basically wants to know if heart rate variability is, is useful you don't use that. Do you have any clients that use heart rate, monitor their heart rate variability? No. No, I, I have a couple um, just because they have the watches and stuff already. And really, that's more for personal preference rather than anything else. Like heart rate variability basically measures your autonom- autonomic nervous system. So you've got your parasympathetic and your sympathetic nervous system. And your sympathetic nervous system is like what's involved in like your fight or flight response so it increases your heart rate increases your cortisol um release etc and then your parasympathetic is more like your um rest and digest so it's involved in like digestion and chilling out and heart variability is like a measure of the balance between the two and actually if you have a high heart rate variability it's like the opposite of heart rate if you have a high heart rate variability that means that your nervous system is really quick to respond so when you start exercise it your sympathetic nervous system really kicks in and then when you finish training or exercise your heart your parasympathetic nervous system kicks in and you become more chilled out and the higher the variability it's like a better 
it's like a indication that you are recovering better um, and that you you can uh, switch between the two phases relatively easily so this client is pretty knowledgeable knowledgeable and she is right when she said um like her heart rate variability has always been lower but she thinks higher numbers are supposed to be better often what happens is if you're chronically stressed um or or anxious or really like really busy all the time and you're not recovering properly you get like the sympathetic dominance where you have a constantly high heart rate um her resting heart rate is low but i mean like throughout the day um and a constantly high stress response and so your heart rate variability is lower so that's a negative so i think like i don't use it with clients but i think it can be really useful for people who potentially are chronically stressed or people who are really busy all the time or people who are potentially at risk of overtraining all of these people can use that as an indication that maybe actually they need to recover to, to either longer times between sessions or work on the recovery. So doing things like um, like stretching afterwards before you eat can help can help um, reduce sympathetic tone, support digestion, etc. So if you, if you take a longer cool down time, like I think that I would never say to someone we're going to measure your heart rate variability. I don't think that it's I think with our types of clients as well, we don't need extra numbers. We know for recovered. Like, you know, there's so many ways you can measure recovery, sleep high, like your sleep quality, quantity, your training performance, your mood, um, your body image, all of these things we can use to look at that. Um, however, if you are someone that looks at it and you do and you do find that your heart rate variability is high, then yes, you need to potentially think about these things like are you overtraining? Are you sleeping enough? Are you straight too stressed? Um and then you can start working on things like meditation and, and cool downs and reducing your training, etc. Um I don't think you've got anything to add on that, do you? No, <laughs> I think you covered it. It's kind of like it's an interesting topic, but not a clear uh, the question I suppose is what are your views in terms of monitoring it? I think that I just that's covered. Monitor. I, my, I've still got my Apple Watch that I occasionally look at and I'm like, oh, yeah, that felt tough, <laughs> but that's about it. Does Apple Watch measure heart rate variability? Um, no, I don't, I don't know. I just kind of look at it and go, oh, that's where I reached at this point in my hit session. And that's why I felt like I needed to stop. <laughs> it was at 210. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, crikey. <laughs> uh okay next question go for, have you got another one yeah yeah um so this client has said not a question as such but she'd like to hear our thoughts or how we work around comparisons Ooh. whether okay good question um i mean the really basic level of that is anyone that you compare yourself to especially on social media right mute or unfollow like I have people that I mute that I really like but I just find them really triggering in terms of comparison and it's no reflection of them whatsoever I think what we have to be aware of is usually like comparison is is not an issue with anyone else it's an issue with something that we feel insecure about so like it doesn't have to be obviously our bodies but often it is with our bodies and it's it's completely no reflection of anyone else it's literally just us going us projecting ourselves onto someone else like on a really basic level like 
like I said, mute or unfollow these types of people. But often you can't do that. Often it's people, like I'll compare myself, my classic comparison is like with people in the industry who I respect or who I want to be like, um, which there aren't that many people, but if I think someone's doing something better than me, that's when I compare myself. Not with bodies anymore. Like obviously when I used to compete, and you'll be the same, like when I competed, I used to compare a lot. And when it was that situation and it was my body, I would come off social media. Like, I just wouldn't use it. I didn't think that, like, for, like, two or three weeks before my shows, I would just come off it because I just found it really triggering. So I just didn't see the point. Whereas now, obviously, it's slightly different. Usually what I do when I find myself comparing and I feel negative about it is that I will I will actually journal on it or I will discuss it with one of my friends and I'll say, what is it about that comparison that's triggering me so much and usually it's because I feel like I've got certain gaps in where I think my knowledge is or gaps in my experience or whatever it is and I, and, that, and I feel sensitive about that and so when I compare myself and I'm triggered it's because of that so usually when I do it doesn't happen to me often anymore but usually when I do it's when I'm having a like a bad week or whatever and I'm feeling a bit insecure about whatever it, something else so I will I'll just take 10 minutes to journal and I'll say this is what it's high why who am I comparing to why what am I comparing and what insecurity or or gap is this highlighting me and how can I work on that or do I want to work on that and there will be certain things that I can't work on so for example I'm trying to think of an example my background I wish my background was psychology right I wish that my background was psychology not science so if I see someone who is a psychologist and, and they're doing something similar to me, I get really triggered because I'm like, oh, I want to be doing that. And I, <laughs> and it's like, I'm going to reflect on it. Like, it's because I feel insecure that I don't have a psychology degree because I know that I would be better if I had one. Can I change that right now? No. So then let's just meet that person or let's just move on. How do you, how do you deal with it? Um, like you, it's not really bodies, other people's bodies or even my body anymore um generally don't give it much thought <laughs> but um i think i think like everybody our age like there's that pressure that all your friends are getting married or having babies and buying houses and so like you said i journal or write down like do a big gratitude list for everything that i'm thankful for in life and as hippy dippy and airy fairy as it sounds, but we all know that we love it on this team. I think like, everything happens for a reason, and I kind of just trust in where I am. Yeah, that's yeah, and that's all you can do. Like we can see it, we frame it how it, in so many different ways, like control the controllables, or is this thought or feeling, or you know, everything happens for a reason, and etc. etc. It's all the same thing. It's all about just saying this is where I am. This is the present moment, and things happened this way to get me to this point like and if anything was different like if you had had a baby when you were 20 for example you we wouldn't be working together and, yeah. and you would be yeah. in a different job and it's all like everything that's led every single small decision has led to this point and this is like and everything like you said if you think about all the things you're grateful for it's like I can't not be grateful for these things so the decisions that I made were right yeah it's easy I think it's easy to see that when I think obviously we've been in the place when it comes to bodies in terms of comparison but it's like 
it really you really have to I think there's a certain point where you have to take personal responsibility in the sense of I like what what is looking at this body how is this looking at this body serving me because unless it's someone that's put up a picture of their body and it looks a certain way and they're filling your con your social media with such good content that you can't hide it you are choosing to let that body like into your headspace and make you feel insecure like you you have to take at some point responsibility and say this is not beneficial to me so why am I doing it you're choosing to feel negative often yeah. I think Louis did a really good post on it is like you you choose what you allow and that includes on social media yeah absolutely that I think I've said that about yeah like what do you allow yeah that about I think I was probably talking about men at that point like, <laughs> Hannah's asked a good question about um, running, but I'm actually going to leave that because Louis, when Louis is back, he will, he's the best person to ask that question. Okay. Um, does reverse dieting work to help you eat more whilst maintaining? Okay. Do you want to start on this or do you want me to start on this? You start. I'm having a think. <laughs> like... yeah, it's one that you want, like it's a good que- it's a good question. Yeah. It's just one that you want to think about. So okay. So clarification of what reverse dieting actually is. Reverse dieting, technically correctly speaking, is after a diet, bringing your calories up to maintenance your new maintenance levels for your new body weight um, and then potentially bringing your calories slowly up after that point whilst ideally or slightly gaining weight. That's pretty much what reverse dieting is. Um, Often people get confused and often people will talk about on social media as I'm reverse dieting so my maintenance calories are higher and that's something that you see really commonly and especially in like women who are like oh so that I can die on more calories next time that's a classic one isn't it like I wonder oh, oh it's so classic <laughs> when I started competing I was like I think I bought into it and I was like I just can diet on more calories because I'm eating more now eat more in your off season and then dieting is a doddle <laughs> yeah but you've also gained like excessive amounts of weight <laughs> exactly um okay so the answer in short is, hold on, let me look at the question again. Eat more while maintaining. Okay, reverse dieting doesn't help you eat more while maintaining. In short, no. What reverse dieting does, so if we are looking at it in terms of increasing calories, what it may do is um, result in you having a higher neat level and a higher energy expenditure so you are fidgeting more you are walking more so often when you get when you diet is the opposite of that your neat goes down so when you are reverse dieting or increasing your calories in an improvement season or an off season or just not dieting per se your neat levels will start to go up and it's like a natural natural physiological response to a higher energy intake so you're burning more calories slightly more calories um and whilst eating more at the same time, because you're eating more, you're probably gaining a little bit of muscle and fat, so your body weight is, hip, is, is larger, and as a result of that, your basal metabolic rate is higher because 
the biggest predictor of your metabolic rate is your body weight. So you are heavier and your NEAT levels are going up. And so combined, um, your energy expenditure is going up. And so therefore you, are, you can eat slightly more calories and maintain that to some degree. But um, you can't, you, like the amount of, okay, hold on. If you want to maintain your weight, and increase your calories, the the impact that's going to have in terms of your energy expenditure is really low. Your meat might slightly go up when you eat a little bit more, and you can maintain weight roughly, but it's not it's it's negligible. Like you can't keep increasing your calories like monthly, maintain your body weight, and continue just to increase meat all the time and maintain your weight, like that doesn't happen so if you see someone on social media who's like i'm eating three and a half thousand calories and i've reverse dieted up to this point it's like yeah well, you're probably gaining weight um you're probably training a lot and obviously with more food you get a slight increase in the thermic effect of food but it's it's all relative like you you cannot maintain weight and keep increasing calories way beyond maintenance and maintain weight it's impossible yeah no i think like you said reverse dieting is just getting yourself back to your new maintenance um, and if you're looking at minimizing the amount of fat gained if you then go into a gaining phase it's, it, it is it's going to be minimal increases with yeah uh, okay. yeah <laughs> yeah I just think that there's like this massive like misconception of and I think it comes from misinformed and uneducated um fitness people like I'm not saying everyone in the fitness industry but I mean like this small group of people who who think that increasing their calories in their off season means that they can diet more you're dieting down on more calories after a heavy off season with lots of food because your body weight is heavier, therefore your basal metabolic rate is higher, your NEAT is slightly higher, so you can diet on slightly more calories because your metabolic rate is slightly higher, but you've probably also got more fat to lose, so you're still going to end up in the same place at the end of that diet. It doesn't... Yeah, I just think there's a miscommunication there. Yeah, I did see a coach that we both know uh, who... Bragged that her client is on three and a half thousand calories great but she's also on 250 grams of protein and I just nearly died I was like her poor stomach why poor stomach oh my goodness it's a bikini girl it's a bikini girl okay let me know who it is after the- <laughs> oh of course <laughs> <laughs> anyways um I have a question who starts off, love the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but can you talk about set point weight? As in, can you shift it so that you can eat more calories and maintain a lower body fat percentage? Or will I always be struggling against my Irish famine genes? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so think back to that excellent conference with uh, Stefan. <laughs> Oh God, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Do you know what? Part of that question kind of falls into the question before in the sense yeah. of more yeah. calories and, and maintain to some degree you can, like your need will be higher, etc. Um do you want to start on this or do you want me to go? 
you go. I'm just looking at the. There is a little bit. Um, oh, she's she's added. I've never been overweight. I've always been sporty, which is in my favour because I get a big reward from food. But my whole family is big, hence why I had to study nutrition and be able to make better choices. And okay, so I actually spoke about this on an EIQ live with Emma. And really now, it's more accepted that rather than having a set point per se, we have like a a settling range. So it's kind of like a range of maybe like three to five kilos-ish where you're most comfortable. And a lot of it is to do with just fluctuating leptin levels. So leptin is a hormone that's responsible for reducing your hunger and it's predominantly released by adipose tissue or fat cells so the more fat cells you have your um appetite your hunger levels are slightly lower and when you are leaner your hunger levels are slightly higher and that drives you back to a certain set settling range where your body feels kind of at its healthiest um the settling point model is like a concept let me just let me think about the right way to word this it's like an, a model that suggests like there's this kind of passive feedback between your body size and like what it stores and how much energy it expends um, and it basically suggests that we kind of fall back into our old behaviors that allow us to maintain weight it's like it's it's based on our body stores like our leptin levels and like our leptin levels and stuff but and you can move it in the sense of if you've dieted for a long time you can come back up to your maintenance level calories and sit there for a while let your meat come back up slightly and you can maintain it you don't always have to go back to the set point and there is obviously a genetic component to that like we know genetically people are predisposed to potentially having higher appetite for example moving less so there is a genetic component to it but it it can like it can it can be moved if you do it in like in a proper way and you monitor yourself post diet and we've spoken about things like that you can do to help yourself maintain weight um it's quite it's quite a complex like dynamic situation um and like i said it is genetically predetermined um but you can do things like um set up your environment make sure that you're monitoring yourself make sure you have a high protein intake resistance strain all of these things can almost override your genetics to some extent um but like i said it is a range so often people will think that they're not maintaining because they've gained a few kilos but a, a true settling range will mean that you go up and you come back down again, like on a weekly or monthly basis. Yeah. yeah. Does that, does that, did that make sense? Yeah, no, I think, I think like you said, it's, I think everybody has that um, idea that post diet, they're going to be able to maintain that, but it does, it goes up and then kind of settles back down and it is within that, that range. It's not going to be as lean as you were post at the end of your diet, the the end point, but you are able to maintain a leaner physique. Yeah. And and if you look at any of like the overfeeding studies, so 
I am. Um, I talk about the Minnesota starvation experiment quite a lot, and this was like a really traditional old um, study that looked at starvation in men, and it and it made men very, 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 very lean, emaciated levels lean. They got these individuals. They obviously ethically couldn't do it now, and I use it as an example of um, the example of what happens when you diet in terms of your eating habits. So they all lost. Like, I think it was something like 40% of their body weight. I can't remember the exact number. Mm-hmm. Um, but during the starvation experiment, they experienced episodes of, of binge eating, of food preoccupation, uh, distorted body image. They didn't realise that they were very lean. And if you look at pictures from the Minnesota starvation experiment, they were very lean. Um, and I talk about that quite a lot in that sense. However, if you look at what happened after that um, diet phase, the uh, the individuals were then allowed to eat what they wanted and some of them were averaging 11,000 calories per day immediately after that starvation like the, if you saw them you would know why like they were they were really starving so they were averaging at like 11,000 calories a day and a lot of them overshot their start weight so they gained their weight back they overshot it um, but ultimately most of them then returned back to their starting weight and if you look at any sort of overfeeding study a lot of the same thing happens and I mean if you look at a bikini athlete doesn't monitor themselves properly and doesn't have a good coach same thing happens they call it a rebound but you you go weight like you go above your start weight and then you come back down and that's generally what we see and the only way to kind of get back the only way to move that settling point is by changing your environment basically and we've obviously spoken about that yeah um, right Okay. Is it normal when increasing calories, eating quote-unquote fear foods along with a reduction in training to find that foods which once made me feel full no longer touch the sides? I find the foods that I thought once made me full just make me want to eat more food and now I am eating more calories and reducing my training. I am feeling more hungry than previously. Am I just becoming more aware of my hunger signals? Is it psychological or am I just being greedy? So the foods that are eaten, are these are these previous fair foods? Is that what? Yes, yeah, so for example, for this would be um, she would never eat, for example, like um, normal fahi, fag, <laughs> yogurt. Uh, she would not she would never have like a five percent yogurt she would have zero percent yogurt so that would be like a fear food but she's done a really good job at starting to reintroduce them um but is it normal when increasing calories and and eating these foods whilst also reducing training to find that the foods which once made her feel full so maybe for example zero percent yogurt and something else no longer touch the sides used to think that um they made me feel full but now I'm eating more calories and training less I feel like I'm more hungry so I would say yes it could be that you're becoming more aware of hunger and fullness signals and if you're not training then you possibly um kind of got more time to become aware if that makes sense you're not just staying so busy that you almost ignore those those signals um, plus if you're increasing calories then neat might be up so you naturally might be hunger anyway even without training just general steps and fidgeting and whatever else um, but by no means would I say it's greed um, 
I think you're just relearning what hunger feels like. I agree. I think it's a lot of the relearning of hunger. Um, she's kind of really turned a page in terms of she's trying to trust her hunger signals now. And I think a lot of it is that, you know, I convinced myself for years that 0% yogurt was, was delicious. delicious. <laughs> and now when I have it, I'm like, oh, that's quite bitter. And don't get me wrong, it's a great, you know, it's a great food, like all food, it's a great food to have, especially if you're dieting, etc. But I would genuinely believe like that might have been a satiating meal for me with loads mm-hmm. of fruit, whereas now I'll have 5% with like peanut butter and all of the stuff. And I'm like, no, that's a satiating meal. And I think that a lot of it is you, you, if you convince yourself that that is enough, then it's enough. And also what often happens is obviously from those kind of those types of foods, you tend to focus a lot more on food volume. And when you switch your foods out to like 5% and things, you don't need to pack out your meals as, as much. But actually what can potentially happen is that you're packing them out slightly less. So you actually, you, you don't have the benefit of so much of food volume. Um, but I think that what happens as well is when people are dieting or are restricting in some way, they focus so much on food volume that they convince themselves that they're full. But all they're, they're really stomach full, they're volume full, but they're not satiated. Yeah. And I think that's the difference. And I think that so potentially she is becoming more in touch with her hunger signals. But I think potentially she almost tricked herself into thinking she was full with these kind of high volume foods. And now she's realising actually, now she's in quite They don't. Full. <laughs> they don't. And, and I also think she's just allowing that hunger more. I am. Um, which is obviously fantastic. Yeah, um, I think just butting in, I think as well, I don't know if she tracks, but I know a lot of my clients who kind of just, they track and that's how they expect to feel. And mm-hmm. so once they eat past fullness, then it's kind of, I know obviously we're talking about hunger, but getting past fullness and it's almost like, well, I'm not used to feeling like this. Yeah. When actually you've never really eaten to fullness, you've just eaten your set macros for that day. That's such a good point, and I and this is a discussion I have with a lot of clients actually. So like that's like that's great that you brought that up. Like often people have again if they've been restricting for a long time, this idea of what they what they should eat or what they should feel in response to certain foods or what they should expect to feel after having a meal because that was X percentage of their MyFitnessPal target, or that was kind of an X percentage of what they would normally eat. So, so a discussion that I'll have with one of my, I've had with one of my clients recently is, she said she felt hungry, so she kept eating, and she would just felt like she just could eat a lot of food. And I was like, well, what is a, like, what is a lot of food? And it's, it's based on expectations of yourself, either from my fitness power or from what you see on bloody social media or whatever it is, where you go, that is a lot of food. And I, and I said to her, I was like, I can easily eat, like, you know, 2,000 calories over, like, dinner time if I've not eaten that much. I think I'm hungry and I'll just eat it mindfully and, I'm, and that's me and I'm, and I'm good. And in the olden days, that might have been, like, that's, I, I'm so hungry. I'm, I should, like, why am I so hungry? Whereas now it's like, I'm really hungry because I've, just not eating that much and I've moved a lot today and I'm tired and whatever else and it's like we have these expectations of how hungry we should be based on ideas that have come from goodness knows where all of these external influences when ultimately what it comes down to is you are hungry 
so you're hungry so you <laughs> eat and that's and it's just so simple to say it like that but that, that does what that is what it comes down to yeah yeah yeah, yeah good point do you want to go um yes there's someone that's asked um about i've been a really poor job of cutting and pasting this question so, <laughs> but i remember it so she said is a pound of fat actually three and a half calories surely it must be different for each person I mean, we'd be up, we'd be really in the shitter if it was three and a half calories. Oh, three, is that what I said? Oh, dear. <laughs> three and a half thousand, sorry. <laughs> I mean, what was the second part of that question? Um, really three and a half. It must be different, like a pound of fat must be a different amount of energy for each person. No. I mean, yeah, the yes, it is three and a half thousand calories, roughly. Um, but no, so one gram of fat is nine calories calories and so it doesn't matter what body that that's on I mean that's obviously when we're talking about like consumption of, of fat but it doesn't matter where that pound of fat is stored what body it's stored on it's not an exact number it's not like and it's not like if you ate three and a half thousand calories above maintenance levels on one day you wouldn't store a pound of fat I think did we speak about this last week in the sense of once you eat that food, some oh, of it. Oh yeah, yeah, we did. Well, yeah. So some of it will increase your need. Some of it will be used for the cost of digestion, um, thermic effect of food, etc. So uh, glycogen stores, etc. So even if you ate three and a half thousand calories above maintenance, you still wouldn't gain a pound of fat. But you know, it's a really crude measure, but it is a it is an average measure in terms of it doesn't differ between individuals. Yeah. Yeah, it's just the amount of energy that it stores. <laughs> Do you know what? I quite like getting your questions because I have absolutely no idea what they are. <laughs> I'm just going to throw them at you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, it's when I can get my words out. That's always helpful. Um, okay. Is there a limit to how much a certain person can lift? For example, you can continue working on form, but are there limiting factors such as your weight or age or anything else? I don't want that to sound as a negative question. Just interested to know if there comes a point where the weight being lifted is too much and you can't change that based on you as a person. Yes. <laughs> there, there will be a limit for many, many different factors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, there is a limit. That's obviously why we have things like strongman or strong women, I don't know if that's a, like, you know, that's why we have weightlifting in, in the Olympics, etc. There is a there is a physiological limit based on your your genetic potential, your muscle mass, um, your anatomy, all of these things will impact how much you can lift, but I have never myself reached a limit or had a client reach like a physiological limit ever. Um, have you? No. <laughs> Obviously not with my training. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm weak than I used to be, so I, I wouldn't, I've never consistently got to that point where I'm like, I'm stuck. But then that's do, you, what, do you know what, actually, relating back to the comparisons, that used to be something that I'd compare to, like how strong I was compared to other people. I'm like, that's crazy. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. But like, well, she's getting so much more strength than I have. 
Probably because she drains harder, let's be honest. <laughs> Such personal problems, isn't it? I know, I know. No problems. Um, and also, like, you're genetically stronger in certain in certain ways. So, like, my my best mate, we competed together in 2014, and we're now best mates, and she, she, was all, she always, like, hates it because, like, genetic, like, I can, like, I would, I remember one of the first time we trained, and I was, like, pressing, shoulder pressing 20s, and she was, like, like she was on like 10s or 12s and she trained so hard so hard harder than me a lot of the times and it's like genetically that's just where my strength is I can't squat for shit but like I can shoulder press so yeah there are there are lots of reasons why we have physiological limits but I, I don't think it's anything that any of us have to concern ourselves with um at all unless we are eventually going to be in strongman competitions or weightlifting the olympics no i'm sorry no i like that to be honest i've got a hernia i don't need another one no uh, do you have any more questions i am out of questions for today questions too actually i think we've flown through them yeah i'm just i'm just checking no i have um thanks everyone for your questions and we are obviously happy to receive more for next week the more questions you give us the more podcasts we can do i say that like we do more than one a week <laughs> but the longer they are the more questions you do so um get them over to us and thanks thank you Bye.